Forget about gathering for Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas, according to the Prime Minister, who advises Canada is in the second wave of the pandemic. Will it lead to lockdowns like the first wave? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. The number of COVID cases is on the rise in Canada as provinces struggle with hotspots. When COVID came ashore in Canada, it led to painful lockdowns. Businesses have had to throw in the towel because of the impact. Ontario and Quebec continue to see rising numbers. Quebec has gone into red alert, ordered residents in three hotspots not to socialize outside their household. As well, bars and restaurants are closed to inside dining for 28 days. In Ontario, despite the surge, the province has not reverted back to stage two. In fact, casinos open this week. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at the second wave of the pandemic and whether it will be worse than the first. Patrick Saunders-Hastings is a professor in the Health Sciences Department at Carleton University, as well as a manager of Life Sciences at Gevity Consulting. And he appeared on our initial show, which looked at what a second wave might look like. And he joins us now. And Patrick, when we spoke back in the spring, you mentioned we could see an increase in cases when restrictions are lifted. Is that what we're dealing with right now, or is it perhaps a false sense of security? I think it's both. I think it's both. And and so what we've discussed is the idea that as restrictions are lifted, um, that's in response to a decrease in cases, but not to a shift in the population susceptibility profile. So as those restrictions are lifted, it's not like that vulnerability level has really shifted. And that's partly why we're seeing some of this um, increase in cases due to loosening restrictions around uh, restaurants as well as reopening of schools. How, how would you grade the federal and provincial leadership so far? That's a good question. Um, I, I think that there have been a lot of successes as well as some missed opportunities. Um, one, I think in particular, that, that seems like a missed opportunity is that over the course of the summer, we were seeing, for example, in Ontario, daily case rates below 100 and that would have been a great opportunity to fine-tune and tailor some of our return to school plans as, as well as testing and, and tracing plans. Um, now that we're seeing this second wave really begin to emerge, it it feels like we uh, we maybe did not as do as well as we could have in that sense. I, the thing I've found is there's been an incredible number of mixed messages coming from from the leadership and it, it seems that Canadians can't seem to get a get a beat on on what's going on here because you know you, they announce one thing and the next day it goes the opposite direction. Well, I think I think that's true, and and that's something that's all was was also present during first wave messaging where there was I think a, a delay in recommendations around the use of masks, which was also problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, something that that I've felt as you sort of follow along over the past few weeks is that the messaging sometimes buries the lead in terms of how and where transmission is happening. Um, so we hear about, for example, strip clubs closing or transmission at car rallies. Um, and, and while that's true, that is not the majority of our community transmission. And so I think we, we really miss the opportunity to, commute to the, communicate to the average citizen how they can act and respond to limit their own individual risk as well as reduce community transmission. From your perspective, is it better to blanket lockdown if we are in a second wave or do you just sort of focus on those hotspots? So one of the things that we'd spoken about in our, our first discussion was this idea of testing, tracing, and isolating being the preferred approach um, to outbreak response, a more individual-focused approach. 
and that community mitigation measures are more uh, appropriate and necessary once we start to see TTI become overwhelmed. I feel that we are, speaking for Ontario and, and Quebec in, in particular, at that stage now where Ontario should probably consider a return to phase two um, interventions and, and broader community restrictions. With that said, I do think that there is some potential value in um, sort of regional um, differences in, in terms of interventions. So our, our metropolitan areas, in particular Ottawa and Toronto, seem to be having the most problematic increases in cases, um, whereas more rural areas or smaller towns maybe are, are not seeing that and are still able to maintain test tracing and, and isolate um, approaches. And so I do think that there is some potential value in regional approaches within provinces. With that said, that does allow for some dissemination of risk and transmission between areas if there is movement. Do we have the capability right now to test contact trace and isolate? And I ask because we learned this morning that there's still 90,000, 90,000 plus tests uh, in the lab that have not been processed yet. And, you know, that's that's right now seems to be where everything is 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 jamming up. Yeah, our, our capability is currently not matching the need or the demand. Um, and that's true both of, of testing capacity as well as contact tracing capacity. So we are falling short of our targets in both. Um, the targets for, for testing are generally returning the, the COVID test results, uh, preferably within 24 hours. And the, the target for that's about 60% of cases. Um, but at, at the least within 48 hours, the target there is over 80%. Um, taking, say, Toronto as an example, about 18% of results are being returned within 24 hours and 37% are being returned within 48 hours. That's according to their municipal dashboard. So both of those are falling well short of target. And Ontario, as uh, at a provincial level, is able to trace, or I should say, to um, reach about half, a bit more than half of contacts within 24 hours. The target there is over 90% of contacts. So we are falling well short of our targets in terms of implementing TTI. And the result of that is that a, a potential case that is in the contact tracing um, cycle or waiting to be contacted might already be infecting another person. And that's where we really see the breakdown of, of that chain. Now, is there a breakdown in, in, in Ontario's lab capacity or is that's all we have and right now it's overwhelmed? So I, I think there's a few things I'd say to that. One, one thing that was, or is, I think, a little problematic is the number of tests required as a result of school reopenings, right? And, and so something that we've seen across provinces is the requirement to get tests um, for anyone that has or is in contact with um, someone with COVID-like symptoms. Now, initially, that included runny noses. And as we know, school-aged children are very prone to runny noses. So we, we've had to move away from that. But it resulted in a massive increase in terms of testing demand, and that's why we, or partly why we've been seeing these extraordinarily long lines for testing receipts. So as we learn on the fly, we're, we're hoping that that decreases testing capacity a little bit, um, as well as contact tracing capacity. We're also hoping that the emergence of rapid testing will further um, sort of support that ability to conduct CTI. At the same time, it or I should say my opinion, is that restrictions have been relaxed to a degree where the number of cases, exposures, and contacts is such that our existing capacity just will not be able to keep up with it. And that's partly why 
I would advocate for at least a partial return to the phase two intervention. You know, when we spoke before, back in the spring, about a possible second wave, you mentioned Ontario and Quebec were your concerns, and obviously <laughs> that's come through. Uh, now, is that driven mainly by population and density, or, or possibly is it a laissez-faire attitude? So I think population density certainly has a role to play there. And, and like I mentioned, we're seeing um, cases emerge probably in Ottawa and Toronto and in, in Quebec and in Montreal, especially, um, as well as a few other regions. Um, there, there are other aspects to that as well, um, interprovincial comparisons. And, and we want to be careful about um, making lazy comparisons. But I, I do think that... Um, Quebec, for example, might have been a bit too laissez-faire with some of their social distancing or social gathering, um, loosening of restrictions, and are now having to maybe overcorrect for that and, and go into 28-day lockdown, lockdowns in some of their uh, most hard-hit communities. Patrick, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Patrick Saunders-Hastings is a professor in the Health Sciences Department at Carleton University. Well, the weather's a bit cooler, and it will start to keep people inside more as we close in on winter. Canada's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Theresa Tam, expected a resurgence this fall. And to get some more perspective on the second wave, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Suman Chakrabarty, an infectious disease specialist at Trillium Health Partners in Mississauga. And, Dr., kids went back to school in September. Is that the key driver of the increase? You know what? Uh, that's one of the things that we thought. But interestingly enough, we obviously have seen cases that are happening in schools, but these seem to be more of a reflection of what's happening in the community. You're seeing teachers that are positive bringing it from outside of the school in, and same thing with students. But thankfully so far, we haven't seen a lot of student-to-student or student-to-teacher type of um, transmission. A lot of what's driving this is, you know, things that are happening at indoor gatherings. Now, I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, um, college kids having raucous uh, type of keg parties. But it's not just that. It's also weddings. It's people doing church services in their house, uh, you know, card games. So a lot of that type of thing, which is, which is difficult to enforce, but we have seen a, a, quite a theme across Canada with this. Yes, that we have. In, in Ottawa today, we've actually uh, heard about a couple of guys who were COVID positive going out to, to bars. And, you know, you, you give your head a shake about something like that. But, you know, when, when do you expect the, uh, the second wave to peak? That's a really good question. Obviously, that does matter uh, in terms of what we end up doing, right? So, like, obviously, um, it's a little difficult to interpret the numbers that we're seeing right now. I do want to make one point that's important, that, you know, we're comparing these numbers to what we were seeing in April or May. It's the highest we've ever seen. We have to remember that we're seeing a lot more of the iceberg now because, number one, we have amazing testing. Well, we did for a bit. <laughs> uh, that's another story. And the second thing is that, you know, we're contact tracing. So instead of just one positive, we're also finding all the people that positive is associated with. So, you know, what was, uh, you know, 400 back in March or April was more like 2,000. So we have to put that into context. But uh, when this will peak, you know, it, it can actually be uh, fairly quickly, like within a couple of weeks, if we start to see that, uh, you know, our uh, interventions are going into a, uh, uh, I don't say lockdown mode, but a more restrictive mode and decreasing contact. We're already starting to see BC leveling out, Alberta as well. But I think that we're going to be dealing with this kind of thing, like a slow burn for the next few months of the winter. With cases rising, do you expect a blanket lockdown or, or do you see a focus on the hotspots only? 
I think that uh, in terms of uh, uh, this is going to be regional. So I think the hot spots right now is where things are going to be focused. Now, will, will these hot spots go down into a blanket uh, lockdown? Maybe. I think we still have to give these, uh, you know, these lower caps, the changes, what I suspect are coming to bars and restaurants, uh, where they're not closed, but they're restricted significantly. I think that's going to be tried first. And if it doesn't work, then we might see a stage two or a stage two type situation happening in the hot spots, but certainly not, you know, for a place like Sarnia, Ontario. They haven't had many cases at all in the last couple of months. There's no sense in putting them into any kind of restriction for now. Dr. Suman Chakrabarty is joining us at the Unpublished Cafe. He's an infectious disease specialist at Trillium Health Partners in Mississauga, and that's Peel Region, and, and that's one of the hot spots. Uh, doctor, what is it about Peel Region that's, that's uh, so hot right now? It's really interesting. A lot of things that have to do with um, kind of the different types of uh, demographic factors. One of the things that we were seeing a lot, I mentioned indoor gatherings, uh, but we were seeing a certain situations where it was a cycle. People were getting uh, infected at work. There's a lot of kind of factory-type places here in the Peel region where there's some crowded working conditions. And then people will then bring the infection back home. And, you know, in uh, Brampton especially, we have a lot of homes that have congregate uh, families, like, you know, two or three families living together. And keep in mind, some of these homes are huge, but there's uh, sometimes, you know, eight, nine, ten people living there. So then it amplifies that way. And we were seeing a lot of that happening. Uh, and, and, of course, we have all the other typical things. But bars and restaurants, interestingly, were not a huge deal here in, in, in Mississauga. The other big thing we saw was returning travelers, uh, people coming back from that were stuck in, you know, India, Guyana, uh, a lot of different places. And that's what's been driving uh, the Peel region. Is the healthcare system ready for a second wave? Well, that obviously all, all depends, but I think that compared to what happened in March, we are definitely much more prepared. Uh, you know, we have the infrastructure in the different hospitals. We know how to deal with the people and isolate them. And, you know, we also have some, some treatment now. This dexamethasone, the steroid that we found, makes a pretty big difference uh, in patients who are coming in. We can at least keep them out of the ICU. We have something that we can use. That, along with kind of uh, being a bit more prepared overall, is, I think we're going to definitely be able to handle this. But we have to be careful because if we let things get too much out of control, it certainly can play out a situation like we saw in northern Italy or New York City. How does the, the uh, how does that treatment work? It's interesting that we found that, and it's something we knew about infectious diseases. You have two parts to it. You have the actual effect of the virus itself, but also the immune response. And what we think happens with COVID is that it really kind of hyperactivates your immune response to a point that it actually can cause damage in the body. And that's why we see people having, uh, you know, uh, inflammation of their vessels, like uh, they get clots in their lungs, strokes, etc. What we think that the dexamethasone does, it kind of tamps down this inflammation to a point where, you know, your immune system is still working, but it's not working overdrive. And this has certainly helped people avoid, uh, number one, death, but also serious illness. So, for example, people that are on oxygen get off it more quickly. And and that's a really, really big tool because we don't want a lot of people being on ventilators at the same time. Uh, How do we ensure COVID doesn't hammer hospitals this time around? I think that, you know, we're doing all the things right now. And, you know, I know that uh, there's some uh, argument in terms of, you know, how should we just lock everything down? I think that we have to be careful about that because there's other hidden costs, including mental health and people going out of business. And we saw a record amount of, uh, you know, overdoses and, and suicide attempts. We have, to be, we have to be cognizant of that. And I think that the, thing that the main thing for us to do is keep things in control in the community. I think that with that, uh, you know, we are looking at things from farther away because we have so much testing. When away 
wave's coming, we can see it coming and, you know, uh, do our interventions. Uh, uh, we have more time to do our interventions. That's what, what I mean to say. So I think with all of these things together and all Canadians working together right now, decreasing our contacts, this is going to help to kind of keep things more stable so we don't uh, end up uh, stressing the hospital system. Dr. Chakrabarty, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Suman Chakrabarty is an infectious disease specialist at Trillium Health Partners in Mississauga. While Ontario and Quebec are seeing a surge in cases, the same can't be said for the Atlantic bubble. Susan Kirkland's a professor and head university research professor in the Department of Community Health and Epidemiology at Dalhousie University. And Susan, why is the Atlantic bubble holding up while other provinces struggle? Well, Ed, there's many, many speculations about that, but there's a number of key things, I think. Um, one is that in the Atlantic region, we have some natural benefits, uh, one of which is our geography is that, you know, we do, we're, we're uh, almost like an island. We don't have a lot of points of entry into any of the provinces in the Atlantic region. And the other is that the population is quite dispersed. We, we don't have a lot of uh, population density. We don't have a lot of large cities. Uh, it's mostly uh, rural or, 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 or small villages and towns uh, throughout the Atlantic region. And that really um, plays into um, plays in well with respect to COVID. I think the other, though, is that we've acted very early. Um, we've acted quite aggressively, and um, we have been successful in also um, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think what the the appropriate word is, not policed, but we certainly have been very serious about endorsing the restrictions that we've put in place. Yeah, that, that's sort of where I was going to go next. You mentioned density or, or the lack of density and, and the geography, the way people are spread out. But I was going to ask about the buy-in from residents. And obviously, it seems Ontario and Quebec is having trouble with that. But the Atlantic population doesn't seem to be uh, too worried about that. In fact, they, they, they say it's, from what I've read, they're, they're more strict on seeing other out-of-province out of, uh, license plates than anything else. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. I think that there's a couple of things. One is that we've had very strong messaging right from the start, and we've had really um, consistent messaging and the same message both from from the premiers of the provinces as well as from the medical officers of health. And I think that that government has done a really good job of listening to and letting public health sort of dictate the lead on this. And so we really have, I think, gone with the science. But we also understand that we are small provinces. We do not have um, the capacity to withstand a very, very large surge. We we don't have, you know, for example, in, in rural areas, we have very small hospitals. We don't have a lot of specialists. We don't have a lot of ventilators. We don't have a lot of beds. Um, we understand very clearly that if we had a surge, it could get out of hand very, very easily. Now, there have been a couple of uh, large outbreaks, um, but we've been very fortunate in that we've been able to um, 
then 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 contain them. They they did spread quite widely. One was in Newfoundland and Labrador, and the other was here in Nova Scotia at Northwood, um, which is a, a long term care um, home. But I think the other thing that we've seen is really good cooperation right the way across the board. So, for example, when we did have an outbreak at Northwood. Uh, it really was all hands on deck from a number of different levels. So acute care came in and helped out long-term care. Public health was in there. Um, we we tackled it together. Now, that was only one break, if, if outbreak. If we'd had outbreaks in every single other nursing home in the region, we couldn't have done that. We absolutely don't have the capacity. But the, the fact that it was occurring in one place at one particular time meant that we could put all of our resources there. So that's been our strategy. Our strategy has been to keep it low, keep the community spread down. And, you know, we've, we have strict quarantine requirements, um, but those have, have worked really, really well for us. It's not that we don't have cases even now. Um, but the cases that we do have are almost all related to travel. And not only are they related to travel, but people are self-isolating when they come back. So they're not spreading. You know, they mm-hmm. find out that they're positive, but they but they haven't had contact with anybody because they've been self-isolating. So, so the combination of, you know, really strong government policy and then really strong public response has kept us fairly safe so far. I'm curious, how did uh, back to school affect the bubble? Well, we have done... (laughs) I'm afraid to say these things. (laughs) That's all right. Don't worry. Up until now, we've done really well. Okay. (laughs) And I'm touching wood, let me tell you. Well, no, that's... Um, But again, you know, there is a certain amount of luck and then there's a certain amount of you know planning and organization and you know the the biggest thing was that we had no community spread when we went back to school and again this is this is a very large um uh success of the bubble and so you know again um to the best of my knowledge we have not had any outbreaks in schools um and as long as we there is no community spread, any time that there um, is any sort of travel-related uh, outbreaks, then then we'll handle them. The same was true for universities. So I was speaking there about um, um, kindergarten to grade twelve, but the same is true with universities. So at Dalhousie, for example, when the students came back, they all had to quarantine for fourteen days. They got th- tested three times within that three-day period, and then they were free to go out uh, into the community. Um, There were, you know, some Mm -hmm. cases that were positive. Uh, Most people self-isolated. There were a couple of people who were fined for violating um, the quarantine, and I think that also sent a message that that we were quite serious about this, and, and it's gone well. Test, trace, and isolate, of course, the three big words that epidemiologists like to use when having to deal with something like this. And, you know, that's what 
is going on in Ontario and, and Quebec right now, and obviously there'll be testing done there too. But the issue here in Ontario is is there's over 90,000 tests that haven't been processed yet because the labs don't have capacity. What kind of capacity do they have in Atlantic Canada? Well, I mean, again, we we have capacity for our region. Right. And we have capacity for um, a, a, a contained situation. So, for example, at the moment, we have capacity to do 1,500 tests a day. That's nothing like what's go- what, what is needed in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can, we're also looking at ramping up that capacity. And, you know, I mean, there's other forms of tests that are being brought into Canada right now. Um, again, with, with contact tracing, you know, that is something that is very, very intensive. And it requires a lot of people and it requires a lot of time. And again, if, you know, as long as we're only dealing with, you know, one or two or three or 10 or, you know, even 25 cases, doing that contact tracing is relatively easy to manage. When you're talking about numbers of, you know, 900 and 1,000 in a day, and those people have had, you know, 30 and 40 and 50 contacts, you can imagine how difficult this is to maintain it just is almost impossible will the bubble disappear if atlantic canada sees a second wave well i don't i don't know if it will disappear if we see the second wave it might not disappear if we see the mm. second wave um because I don't know the answer to that. I I am not, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> really privy to that. But I think the bottom line is that we've seen that we're doing very, very well. Uh, we've also seen how easy it is to get back into the second wave. It could happen and it could happen to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I talked about the geography. One of the one of the um, most precarious geographies is between the border between New Brunswick and um, Quebec. And, you know, there's a lot of flow that goes back and forth there. You know, families live on either side of the border. People work on either side of the border. And there has been a fair amount of um, attention put to how that gets managed. Um, We could get community spread. It, it, It doesn't you know, we're, we're not immune from it, uh, but we're very, very lucky at this point in time. And we do understand that, you know, we saw in the first wave what a hit we took, you know, in terms of long-term care, all of the delayed services around health that happened, um, you know, in terms of treatments, in terms of surgeries, um, in terms of therapies. And I really don't think we can afford to go back to that state so i i think we'll keep the bubble for a little while all right susan i want to have a crystal ball no that's true uh susan i want to thank you for joining us thank you very much susan kirkland's a professor and head university research professor in the department of community health and epidemiology at dalhousie university and that leads to our unpublished.vote question Do you feel the second wave of the COVID pandemic will be worse in terms of fatalities than the first wave? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. 
I want to thank Patrick Saunders-Hastings, professor in the Health Sciences Department at Carleton University, Dr. Sumant Chakrabarty, an infectious disease specialist at Trillium Health Partners, and Susan Kirkland, professor and head university research professor in the Department of Community Health and Epidemiology at Dalhousie University. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.